You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. In this episode, APNIC's Chief Scientist Jeff Houston joins us again for his monthly chat to discuss a new measurement project that he and APNIC Lab's colleague Joao Damas have set up to measure the use and performance of the QUIC protocol, RFC 9000, which was standardised by the IETF in May last year. Jeff, thanks for joining us again on Ping. Why, thank you, Robbie, and it's good to be back here. I'm having a brief sojourn in summer. I've switched hemispheres, so, you know, it all feels a whole lot better. I think we'd all enjoy a brief summer sojourn, Jeff, Uh, but there's work to be done, including this podcast. So today we're going to talk about your recent post on the APNIC blog that looks into the use and performance of QUIC on the internet. So QUIC is an end-to-end transport protocol implemented as an overlay on a UDP datagram flow that attempts to refine the basic operation of the Internet Protocol's Transmission Control Protocol, TCP, by changing where the transport function is implemented within the end host and, consequently, who has change control over this function. It takes TCP stream integrity and flow control functions and combines it with the session encryption functions of TLS adds a more flexible version of multi-stream handling and also adds better support for addressing agility to tolerate a broad variety of network address translation behaviours. We'll touch on these advantages during the conversation, but first, I think it's worth discussing why today's internet needs quick. Why is quick? Well, you see, in the early days, being connected to the internet was in and of itself the goal. And even if you're working on a crappy old modem, and you could see the bits flying one by one, which meant the stuff was as slow as anything. The fact that you're on the internet was the goal. And oddly enough, you know, a lot of the protocols and a lot of the things that were going on were abysmally slow, just glacial. Modems themselves took a few seconds to encrypt and decrypt the signals into the voice channel. You have a ping down an analog modem, you see three or four seconds because that was a lot it took to make this stuff sing and dance. But as we grow older, we get less and less tolerant. And one of the things we get less and less tolerant about is the entire concept of delay. And these days, we want an internet that is only ever so slightly and imperceptibly slower than my local fire storm. I want the whole internet to sit right behind my screen, right behind my, mo- my mobile. I don't want to wait. And that's actually difficult. It's difficult because I suppose the speed of light makes it difficult. It's hard to move packets around the world instantly. It takes some time because the world is this big, speed of light, speed of light in fiber, et cetera, et cetera. But we shouldn't be making it worse. And the thing was, we were. You see, No one really cared about all of the internet. There were folk who wrote browsers. There were folk who wrote operating systems. There were folk who wrote domain name resolution systems. And while each of them were terribly concerned about functionality and so on in their own patch, the total system was actually nobody's concern. And when we started adding stuff, adding functionality, Uh, Adding security, the whole dive into transport level security, set of secure sessions, TLS as it turned out, all took time. And 
while the network was getting faster, the experience of users wasn't. Now, one of the folk who took this very, very seriously, and I'm talking around 2010 or so, so it's quite some time ago now, was Google, who was trying to take a bigger view of bits of everything to try and understand how you could make this faster. And they came up with a number of sort of techniques that they called speedy, S-P-D-Y, which were basic improvements in a few bits and pieces to make things go faster. But it didn't stop there. And one of the outcomes was this protocol called QUIC, Q-U-I-C. And almost irrespective of the acronym, it is intended to be what it sounds, faster than normal. And it's certainly something that we'll talk about as to whether they succeeded or not. But it's, I suppose, better to talk firstly about what it is, because this is not just another re-roll of TCP. It's not just another version of TCP that has a few tweaks here and there. Uh, it has those, but that's not really what, what's so important about this. You see... As we grew older, not only did we grow more impatient, but interestingly, it got harder and harder to change things because it wasn't just the applications that knew how to do stuff. It was the applications and the operating system platforms. TCP was often written inside the device, the operating system. But it didn't stop there because we started making aware networking that kind of tracked what applications were doing and sped them up and, in some cases, slowed them down. There were rumours around that one of the major ISPs in America was slowing down BitTorrent transfers, you know. And, and while it might have been apocryphal, it wasn't impossible. You could do that because the network started to grow aware of transport. Now, how do you change your transport protocol if you don't change your network that is aware of your transport protocol? All of a sudden, this stuff is accreting problems. It's becoming inflexible. And when things get crafty and slow, really hard to fix them again. So Quick took a very, very different approach. Very different. How is it so different, Jeff? Well, I suppose the best thing to do is to look at the big architecture and then look at what it did. So the big architecture, it sucked transport and encryption into one thing and popped it into the application. You know, what? You see, in the old days, HTTP slash two, etc. you started a TCP session, SYN, SYNAC, ACK, that's one round trip time, one and a half, and then you started a TLS session, client hello, server response, ACK, handshake, start TLS, and you've just dropped five round-trip times. Now we can tune up TLS, you can get it down to three, two if you're lucky, but you've still got TCP and TLS. You can't start TLS until you start TCP. So by wrapping them up in the application capsule, you're making this process faster. Right. But how do you start the session when they're wrapped together, given the system is used to starting with a TCP and then a TLS session? Well, by not starting TCP, by actually inventing a combination of transport and encryption and starting it at once. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, we can't use TCP because you can't 
add stuff to TCP and expect to get away with it. And fascinatingly, even though the good folk tried with SCTP, others tried with DCCP, you could try a new protocol with a new protocol number, but you've just offended a few billion client devices who are sort of pre-programmed to say it's TCP, it's UDP, or it's not going to be accepted in my network. So protocol 6, protocol 17, or nothing. So you can't really invent a new protocol and expect it to be accepted. So the trick with Quick was to actually use UDP. And so Quick from the outside looks like a UDP stream of individual packets going to and from. That's fascinating because it's just the UDP protocol, right? Except that in most places, this is good. Now, the next trick, you encrypt all of the payload, not just some, all of it. So if there is TCP going on, this is back to the fundamentals of networking. Transport is an end-to-end -end problem. It's not a networking problem. Network shouldn't be looking at transport, says the ISO book of lay and protocol standards, I guess. And so Quick actually said, not a problem. We're going to encrypt the lot. And so networks can look all they like, not going to see anything. So what you've actually done is bundled up TLS and the functionality of TCP, this end-to-end -end protocol, and put it inside the application. This is, I suppose, interesting. The network can't slow you down. That's good. The operating system vendors can't slow you down because you're not relying on them and they're sometimes haphazard versions of TCP. You're rolling your own. Each application actually has a lot more control. Every time you roll out an upgrade to your favorite browser, you can roll out new applications. So instead of waiting for a few gazillion years for something to happen, you can actually go, not a problem, new release every week, I can keep things moving. Enormous amounts of control and flexibility. So that's the guts of this. We've lifted transport from the operating system, the common platform, up into the application. Applications are now capable, devices are now amazingly fast. There's no need to have this step in the kernel. So it's now a function. It's quick, it's flexible. I'm tying together TCP and TLS and doing it all in one. But we've spent a lot of time in TCP. We started the TCP dance back in the mid 80s and we've learned a lot. It's been slow, it's been painful, but the whole thing about congestion control, how to actually understand that tapping into the state of the network to go as fast as the network will let you without destroying the network, to travel fast enough for the conditions that you're actually using all the available network if you need to, but not making it worse for everyone else which is that sensitive touch. So this is based, currently, quick versions use uh, combinations in their congestion control of new Reno and Cubic, which is pretty much what everyone else uses, except for the people like me who are convinced that BBR is the new fashion. But, you know, new Reno and Cubic is most of the net, and it's, it's 
pretty damn good. Can you give us an example of what pretty darn good looks like, Jeff? So both Cubic and New Reno try and sense the point at which the network is able to absorb your traffic and deliver it and just shy away from the point where you're sending too much and the network is filling with your traffic till eventually the buffers overflow, packets get dropped, bad things happen, you have to slow down, restart your pace. And the way particularly Cubic does this is that it adjusts its flow control parameters to oscillate gently above what it, around what it thinks is the sweet spot. Now, eventually it overflows, heads in congestion and backs off, but it's not a bad algorithm, all things are considered. Uh, and New Reno is very similar. It, it tries to sense the point where the network is capable of handling your traffic without forming queues, without congesting, without pushing it too fast that it starts to drop packets out of its queues. It uses selective acknowledgement SAC, but instead of having just three SAC windows, so if you do get a pattern of packet drop, you can only repair up to three drops. Quick opens up 256 ranges. So if you're in a noisy radio environment, such as on a mobile, and packet loss is based around poor connectivity rather than congestion drop, Quick will do better because those SAC ranges will actually cover burst errors that affect random packets as distinct from tail drop that just swipes a bunch of consecutive packets. It has fast act. It has fact. It has a much better round-trip algorithm and does early retransmission. A couple of new things. When you retransmitted a TCP packet in TCP, the sender didn't know if it was a retransmission or just the long-lost orphan coming finally home, which confused a lot of timers. Quick remove the ambiguity. Every packet's uniquely numbered, even the retransmissions. You can tell when a packet's being retransmitted. No ambiguity. But the next thing is actually really very clever because we've been playing around with TCP to support a number of things. The first of these is multi-path TCP, where you actually divide the TCP stream up and send it, if you will, down different network paths. It was of great interest about five years ago in the IETF, and some implementations happened. I think even Siri on iPhones got implemented using multi-path TCP for a little while, but never really took off, I suppose. But it's interesting and it's useful, because if you want to survive a network outage at full throttle, it's useful to know that there are alternate paths, that if one goes down, you can just keep going on the others. And the other thing Quick does is multi-stream. Now, a web page isn't a web page anymore. A web page is thousands of little bits and pieces and styles and scripts and you name it. Each of those is a separate TCP session. This is crazy. And even if you're using HTTP2 and you try and sort of bunch it together, you get these problems known as head-of-line blocking that when one part of your session goes, oops, and stalls, everything has to wait. Because in TCP, you've only got one stream. And so if you lose a packet, if you lose that stream, you're multiplexing underneath the one stream control. Quick gives you a lot of separate contexts in the one connection. So packets can overtake each other. 
you can actually have a bulk transfer and a control signaling stream together, all sharing a shared congestion state. So this borrows a bit from the earlier work with SCTP and from uh, DCCP, which were shared congestion control under multiple sessions, but it actually drives it into a single session. Clever and useful. Stuff we've been learning. And so in some ways, quick is the synthesis of about the last 10 years of research into transport protocols. You can understand from what you've mentioned why the community has been so accepting and willing to work with Google to standardise Quick, as well as Google's generosity in providing it to the community too. Well, in some ways, it's kind of interesting that Google deployed it because it's an application-level protocol and it just worked on Google. That was fine. And if that's all everyone wanted, then, you know, in some ways, I think Google did everyone else's service to say, look, let's standardise this so that other folk can use it too. because we actually think it's pretty cool. And they put their code in the public domain, but even more, they didn't even say, here, ITF, you manage this. It's here, ITF, you standardise this. Change it if you want, but work on this as a standard for the entire industry. There's one other point that I'd like to make, and it actually is interesting that this is the first transport protocol that is truly NAT agile, deliberately so. So the client, because it's running UDP through a NAT, can't bank on NAT consistency. You might start with one source address, but because it's UDP, the NAT doesn't know when the session stopped. There's no TCP fin that it can see. Nothing is visible. And so instead, they borrow this cute little trick from a different protocol called the host identity protocol, IP, which used as the identity the public key of the other side. It didn't care what source addresses were. If that packet had the same connection identifier, they went, yep, you're one of mine. You're part of this connection. And so Quick uses a connection ID. And as long as packets possess that connection ID, they're part of the same Quick stream, even if a NAT has translated the outer address. As long as it gets to the other server, the client can be address agile and quick kind of goes, oh, yeah. And so in some ways, this is the first of these transport protocols that actually expects NATs to be there or at least doesn't care and doesn't even care how stupid they are or how quickly they change addresses. As long as you get at least one round trip time out of it, quick is fine, which is uh, fascinating in some ways. So we have multi-path, multi-session, multi-address. You know, all of the things that were kind of bugging us, Quick has actually managed to find useful answers. And as you said, it's taking what we've learned and how we've developed the network over the last 10 years and retrofitting the protocol to be able to accommodate for the issues that are embedded. Yeah, and try and divorce the up-level applications from the stodginess of the network. You don't have to change anything to run Quick. You just need UDP. So. In the same way that IP made minimal assumptions of the underlying networks 30 years ago, you can run IP on pigeons, they said, and someone proved it. You can run quick on almost anything because it's just UDP. It's just raw datagrams. But just because it's easy to be applied doesn't mean it's being applied all that widely, as your measurements have found. Well, this was the fascinating thing. 
Chrome actually did quick back in 2013. I think it was release 29. But only Google had servers that did quick. And so the rest of us were kind of looking at it going, well, that's a bit fascinating, but hard to scale up. And for a long time, that's sort of where it sat. There was one server release. Uh, it used the Go implementation of Quick, and I think the server was called Caddy. But the problem was it wasn't a very high-capacity server. You'd hardly take a massive current website and run it on Caddy. That would be brave, keyword for quite a silly. But what's happened recently on the server side is that one of the more commonly used high-capacity servers, Nginx, has a quick module. And all of a sudden, it's now possible to look at high-capacity server systems with integrated support and saying, yeah, I can serve quick and go, whoa. So that was the first part of the puzzle. The second part of the puzzle, we'd heard rumors, and Apple said it at their Worldwide Developer Conference uh, recently, that they had put Quick into the current release of iOS and macOS. So as of iOS 15, those billions of iPhones out there will do Quick. They can do Quick, but how many will do Quick? And so a few months ago now, we thought, it's probably time to put all the pieces together and take uh, this ad-based measurement system that we use to measure V6 and DNSSEC and all those other little bits that sort of so well, are users really using this technology and apply the same question to Quick. So we started off on the server side. We modified our ad server engines that serve about 20 million impressions a day, which is a lot. We modified it to actually handle incoming requests over UDP port 443, in other words, Quick. So that was the first thing, change the server to support Quick. Uh, if you're interested, Nginx 1.12.7 has a beta support module. If you're feeling brave, go run it. It's a lot of fun. It just works. The other thing we noted too, and it's been happening as part of the entire effort to make life faster. And that effort is to actually put more information into the DNS as to how to access a service. And the key one is this SBCB query. Bit of a mouthful. But what it says is, if I tell the DNS that I would like to connect to the web service of www.example.com, and I would normally say, well, that's port 443, that's TCP. So let's create a DNS query that says, my intention is to connect to a secure TLS service, TCP, for www.example.com. So let's query that as a service record. Hmm. The service record comes back and says, well, you should probably use an application-level protocol called HTTP3. You might want to connect to these IP addresses. You might want to encrypt your server name indication if you're running TLS 1.3. So here's some encryption keys to use. So the DNS tells you everything you need to know to actually optimize your connection. The next packet you send is real. You now know everything. And so what we did in this experiment is we defined a, an SVCB record for, for Quick. It's called an HTTPS record in shorthand. And we put it in the DNS and said, if you want to connect to this name, 
we do HTTP3. ALPN equals H3. Because we'd heard that Apple was asking. And if Apple's asking, we were going to answer it. We can support it. Give us a packet. We also did the traditional way, which was slower. The original clue was to actually change your content. So the first time you served the content, you served it over, you know, normal old TCP and TLS. But inside the content was a header. And the header said, I have an alternative way of getting to me. It's called the alt service header. And I can support HTTP3. So the second time you come to me, O client, let's use quick. Let's use HTTP3, their synonyms, really. And let's actually do this fast. So we put both in. So we set up this experiment with Nginx running quick, with the DNS supporting uh, this HTTPS service record. And we also had the come to us twice, and you can come to us on quick. And started the ad. Started in uh, the start of June, certainly around 20 million a day. Interestingly, when we started, around 16% of users asked for the DNS record. That's a lot. Now, maybe it isn't when you think it's all apples and iOS, and there are a lot of you know Apple iPhones out there. That's true. Um, so maybe it's not so surprising that Apple really does have a fair degree of market reach, and this is expressing that. But what's fascinating is that while there were so many asking for the DNS, only one and a half percent of folk were actually using Quick. Can you do Quick? Yes, says the DNS. Oh, okay, thanks. I'm going to connect to you via. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Yeah, I'm going to use TLS and TCP. And only one and a half percent world average connected via Quick. So while Apple is saying you can connect via Quick, it's not prioritizing it. Yes, although. If you're in Sweden or Norway or Denmark or Switzerland, it was about 8% of users. And if you're in Mexico, it was about none. Oddly enough, it kind of differed by national region. And it's certainly quite variable, varying from a top of, I think it was Monaco with about 9%. And it wasn't just these countries had lots and lots of Apple users. It wasn't that. It was more that Apple were actually controlling the rate at which their browsers, Safari, actually used Quick. Why might that have been? Because when you roll out a new technology and you're not sure it's going to work, you'd like to dip your little toe in the water first rather than throwing everyone into the water to see who swims, right? And actually, in fact, I think this is really clever. And more to the point, this sort of pointed to the new world, that the amount of vendor control out there, you don't just release some software and say to the world, go enjoy yourself. If you've got an internet that's always on, the clients, the vendors, it's a constant conversation. And Apple, I think, are actually sitting there with the hand on the knob, seeing what I'm seeing in some ways, but much better because it's their software, I suppose. It's their browser and actually controlling this. So actually, I think it was quite deliberate that Denmark, Sweden and Norway (laughs) had this turned on before others. They must think that they are a lot more accommodating to potential outages that come with changes. Either that or in their early tests, it just worked better. Perhaps more importantly, though, this highlights the benefit you mentioned before about the application layer and being able to push these things out as you like and actively test their performance. Yeah. Oh, totally. So 
Let's talk about some basic numbers just to illustrate what's going on. 85% uh, of users are using Android. Only 5.5% are using iOS. 1% are using Mac. So in some ways, Apple is not big in the market, 5%. But when I look at the percentage of folk using Quick, 44%. Awful lot of Apple folk using Quick, about 23%. So Apple have turned it on more than you think, and it's actually everyone else that isn't quite doing it. So Android, which is 84% of the total market, around half of the users we see doing Quick are using Android. That's interesting that Google haven't turned it on for all of their own users. Well, they sort of have. But again, we need to pick apart my ad and my measurement technique because, yes, I am guilty. You see, it's very hard to change an ad on the fly. And to make the quick experiment work, you need to ask the same question twice. The first time you ask, if you're not using the DNS, if you're using the alternative service header, you've got to ask once, and it'll answer in TCP plus DLS, HTTP2. And the second time you ask, it should ask in quick because it told you the first time that you'd use quick. So we set up a second ad that had a two second gap between the queries. And this second ad, ran for about 5% of the samples. They're quite a smaller sample set. But what we find is that Chrome will almost always latch on the second time. So Apple is effective at prioritizing quick the first time via the DNS route, and Chrome is effective at prioritizing quick the second time. Well, you know, how often do people double visit servers? An interesting question. I don't really know either. But if you don't go the DNS round, if you don't use the HTTPS trick, you've got to come back for a second byte before you enable quick. And I think that's a bit of a slowdown. So that's the reason why we're seeing this, that, you know, in this experiment, we biased it towards the DNS model and Apple are going, yes, yes, in our release, it's DNS-based triggering, whereas the stuff that Google was doing with Android is kind of, you know, you've got to come back twice. Oh, okay. Harder for an ad. So that number says if we did everything twice, the number would be a lot closer to 20, 23%. That's impressive. It's impressive, but it's, there's a lot of Android and there's a lot of Chrome out there. There's an awful lot of Chrome out there. And so the combination with Google and Apple, which are the two biggest out there, actually make the move, we're all following. And it's really when Apple turns it up, it'll get even further. And if I changed my experiment to measure everything twice, oh, God, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. It's going to be tricky. We'd actually get higher numbers too. But it does give us a, give us a fear. Now, you also measured other features associated with Quick 2, including packet sizes. Can you elaborate on why this feature is of interest and what you found? So when you encrypt something, you've got kind of two options. If you encrypt a stream... If you lose a packet, you've got a problem because TCP is not a packet-oriented protocol. It's a stream-oriented protocol. And so losing a part of the stream actually throws your encryption off and you've got to repair the stream. If you encrypt packets separately, every packet's good. So if I get the packet, I can decrypt it. It has a context. And Quick does packet-level encryption. This is excellent. To protect itself, Quick cannot fragment. So you can't try the big packets. It just won't work. 
And so I started to look at this, and, and the standard says the first packet must be at least 1,200 bytes. Pat it if you need it, but the first datagram has to basically push the network to accept 1,200. Now, you can sit at that for the rest of the session, knock yourself out, or you can try and go a bit higher, but don't fragment. And so what we found is half the packets are about 1,200 octets. The next 40% are about 1,250 octets, and a tiny amount of packets are very brave at 1,350, and that's it. Nothing bigger because you can't fragment. Now, because fragmentation is such a problem, Quick has kind of said, fine, not going to go there. Not going to rely on IP to, to handle this. Two reasons. One, it's really slow. Two, people keep on pointing out some amazingly subtle attacks on fragmentation, sending the wrong bits in fragments and trying to get them accepted. Fragments are evil. They really are evil. And so in some ways, Quick has taken the right and conservative approach and going, fine, it's not going to fragment. So at largest, 1350, in general, well under the IPv6 1280 level, largest packet, 1250. Yeah, we're laughing. This is good. This is good. Uh, another feature that you measured that somewhat provides an inverse measurement to the first two you've described was how many users won't accept a quick packet because of filters they've set up for UDP 443. So the bigger issue was, was actually related to fragmentation, but it's more coarse. Everyone lives behind firewalls and filters. And like the real problem with 6 to 4 was that filters didn't like this weird six in four protocol and just drop the incoming packets on the floor. That was why this whole six to four relaying network was just, why do you hate your customers? It wasn't a service, it was a disaster. And so it was useful to actually figure out, do filters like UDP port 443? I'm like, if I really wanted to design the most narrow-minded filter of all, TCP 443, not even sure if I accept TCP port 80 anymore, just TCP port 443, uh, UDP port 53, because that's the DNS, and that's it. <laughs> now, we're not that bad, but it's a useful question to ask. How many folk won't accept a quick packet? So I tried to look for this. Now, it's hard because in the end, I can only instrument the server. I can't instrument the client. So if the client sends me a UDP opening packet going, hi, I'm starting a quick session. I can't tell if that's happened. So if the filter's on the outbound side, all bets are off, I don't know. But if I get that packet, the server's going to answer and look for the next packet from the client because that first packet is always going to have a next packet. And so I look for the number of sessions that don't have a next packet. So in one day, I found 19 million opening packets. Out of 20 million. But the 20 million, you're not sure if the client even started. I have no control over people's devices. But I found 19 million opening packets. All except 46,000 got the second packet. They saw my answer. And so the failure rate is a phenomenal 0.24%. NV6, the failure rate is 2.5%. V6 TCP, 2.5%. So there are more people filtering out IPv6 than there are quick. There's a lot of inbound filters on V6 out there. 
So these things, the filters need to be changed, and that's one of the last things people do. But for quick, oddly enough, for some reason, there's very little blocking of UDP port 443, 0.24%. 46,000 out of 19 million. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. And I imagine that Google would have had a fair idea of this and is why they developed Quick in the manner that they did to work over to UDP. Well, maybe because Google's been running it since 2013 in one way or another. Maybe, you know, there's a bit of feedback going on. But, you know, this certainly justifies Apple's decision to go with it. It's now reliable. You don't hate your customers if you try it. It's not going to waste time on a connection that's never going to happen. 0.24%. We take B6 seriously, and it's 10 times that failure rate. So that's good. That's really, really good. Indeed. So we have a reliable protocol that is more secure because it uses packet encryption and doesn't fragment. But is it quicker than TCP, Jeff? What did you find? Now, it should be, because I don't have to start TCP, then start TOS. I'm shaving round-trip times. Secondly, if I come back to the same server, the first packet is data. Zero RTT session resumption. This stuff should be amazingly faster. Well, even for single packet one-by-one pixels, it should be faster. And, And my experiment does not stress out the network. The entire transaction is just seven packets. So even in these small seven-packet sessions, is quick quicker. And so I used a relatively rough method. Clients have timers, and JavaScript can enable it. So you actually take the time it takes to actually fetch these. And so because the client is measuring fetches of both quick and the earlier TCP TLS in the same man, in the same client, I can do difference measurements for each client. And so I assemble them all up and do basically a plot of how many times was quick faster, how many times was quick slower, and how much faster. Now, if you did this sort of big zero point where there's a big peak at zero, it didn't get any faster, didn't get any slower. But if there are shoulders, it's either shouldering on quick is faster or shouldering on quick is slower. Now, Predictably, what we're finding is that, yeah, there's a real definite shoulder and that on the whole, quick is around 50 to 60 milliseconds faster for the same round trip time. So it's the same time to get to the client back, but the total connection to get down this one by one pixel block, a single packet of data. I'm actually shaving 50 milliseconds off that single packet of data. 50 milliseconds is pretty significant, but what percentage of users are benefiting from this? Two-thirds of clients, two-thirds of them, it's faster. Now, for a very small percentage of folk, it's amazingly faster. And I suspect those folk might be at the back end of a geostationary satellite or something, where if you shave off round-trip times, you shave off a lot of time. But even so, for two-thirds of the time, it's faster. Why isn't it faster for everyone? Well, browsers are very complex beasts, and they have internal scheduling engines and all kinds of stuff, and their measurement timers are not precision instruments. There's a lot of rough and ready going on there, and there's a lot of things happening, and stuff gets delayed and so on. So there's a fair amount of noise going on inside this. So if you take enough measurements, you'll see a pattern. This is what I'm saying. 
in enough measurements, and two-thirds is certainly better than half, two-thirds of the time, quick is faster. And that seems a decent pointer. It's quicker. So this is getting pretty interesting. We're taming some of our big problems out there. The whole battles with V6 and fragmentation control, which seem intractable in so many ways. If you use quick, it's not a problem. You're not doing it. So that's good. If we're trying to actually get encryption right up to the point when not even the TCP control is visible, everything is an end-to-end secret that matters, quick will deliver that. We actually get ubiquitous encryption, and it's efficient. And if you're trying to make this as good a TCP as we can get and make it flexible, that when we dream of something new, we don't have to change every last device in the network, then Quick can deliver that because I only need to release a new version of Chrome or Safari or a new rev of the RFC from the IETF. That will take longer. But the issue is there's a lot more flexibility going on because in some ways it's application to application. Quick also can negotiate version numbers. Ooh, I don't need to wait for the last person standing, V6. I can move when you can move version numbers. Can you do quick version 100? You can. Jolly good. Let's scream. And so in some ways, you know, a lot of the issues that we've had in the last few years with the internet of things being slow, things being set in concrete, so many folk need to make a change. Quick kind of goes, we can get around that. We can actually use some of the flexibility of the application level to actually deliver performance again. Does it scale? Certainly seems to. Is it secure? Certainly seems to be. Does it work? Well, yeah. What more could you ask for, Robbie? (laughs) Not much, given those impressive features, Jeff. And I'm guessing that now it has been standardised, that more servers will support it and uptake will continue to grow quite quickly. I did have a question as to whether CDNs support and use Quick too. CDNs have been looking very closely. Akamai went with a protocol called FAST to try and speed up theirs. Lots of work on BBR, particularly in the CDNs, to try and deliver faster. Uh, Quick delivers faster. Cloudflare have had a very, very long handle with Quick, and then obviously Google has as well. And for CDNs, the answer is, yes, closer is better and Quick is faster. Why wouldn't you do it? So in some ways, it's just a case of rolling out robust implementations inside the existing server codes. We're waiting for Apache to include it in their modules, won't be long. With Nginx, it's already there. It is on beta, but it's already there. Um, so yes, my guess is over the next few years, particularly now that Apple has, has, has made its change, the combination says, what are you waiting for? Because what are your customers waiting for? And if they're waiting for a TCP act, it's kind of, you're just not getting the message. Why did you spend all this money on this anycast, multi-hydrate, ultra-fast network If you're running slower protocols, clean up your act and run something faster. So, yes, uh, my suspicion is it will happen. So we're going to measure and keep on measuring every day until we see this number of 1% uh, hit about 60 or 70%. And at that point, we'll all declare victory, I guess. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Will you also expand your measurements to look at the difference between mobile and desktop as well? 
much harder for our experiment, Robbie, because while mobile say, hi, I'm a mobile device, as soon as you enter the wired network, the mobile goes, wow, that Wi-Fi is really cheap. I'm going to look like a mobile device, but I'm really on a tethered wired network. And it's very hard for us to actually understand mobile as mobile and mobile hiding behind a Wi-Fi. So measuring the uptake across how you're connected for us and our measurement, it's a lot more challenging. And, you know, in some ways, users don't tell us what they're doing. And with Apple Private Relay, uh, they really don't tell us what they're doing. And as a measurement man, you've got to respect that. You know, this is just the lay of the land. You know so much, and that's the end of what you know. The rest, you can't know. So some things are harder to measure. Is this a true end-to-end, all the way is mobile? Hard to tell. Okay. Does the same apply for measuring whether it's being used within a NAT network too and whether NAT has any effect on speed? That's something I haven't thought of until you raised it right now. And interestingly, when I looked at the early analysis last week, I found six sessions. Now, that's not many, but their source address changed with the same connection ID inside the same session. The connection ID is actually slightly public. And so, yes, there is evidence that some NATs are very aggressive about shifting source addresses on UDP, and Quick is going, not a problem. I'll keep the connection ID. The connection stays open. I know who I'm talking to. Yes, it's a different source address. As long as that's stable for one RTT or more, we're in business. Should I measure it? I'm writing this down as we speak. Yes, I should measure that uptake as to B4 and that. And I'm interested to see to what extent NATs proliferate and become more aggressive. And Quick kind of goes, that's okay. It's perfectly fine for you to do that. We've got it coming. <laughs> Poor old Nat's been fighting against the tide all this time, and now they've got an ally and Quick. You heard my views on this, and the V6 folks still don't like me saying it, but I think Nats are what's gluing this network together. And don't discount them. They are very, very important. And all of a sudden, with Quick, we actually have a NAT-friendly UDP-based protocol. I suppose in some ways you'd think, well, that was inevitable. But in other ways, it's kind of, well, this is great to see. This is what we need to scale the network even further. Well, we look forward to seeing this measurement project continue, Jeff. Hopefully for not that long, though. For as you've pointed out, there is a lot to like about Quick. Thanks again for joining us, Jeff. A pleasure, Robbie. Thank you very much. Uh, any questions, send it back in the comments. Or send me or Robbie a note, and I'm sure we'll try and figure out an answer. And uh, we'll put in the notes somewhere the URL of the daily measurements of Quick across the world. You can even measure what's happening in your local ISP, as well as your local country or anywhere else. Yes, be sure to keep track of it. Thanks to everyone who's made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please subscribe, write a review, and tell your colleagues about it. If you'd like to learn more about Quick, we have a range of stories on it on the APNIC blog, including Jeff's recent posts regarding this measurement study. Finally, if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact via email, ping at apnic.net or our APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.